So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Archie and Leo here with another episode of the Running Rugby podcast coming at you and we'll get all into all the action of Super Rugby over the weekend as well as the Rapid Rugby results but first in a bit of news uh, I think we've got to take the time out and celebrate a little bit the Australian under-20s team have taken the Oceania Junior Rugby Champs and it all ended with Australia getting a 24-0 victory over the All Blacks which they've never actually beaten in that competition. Yeah that's fantastic then I only saw the highlights of that game but uh, lots of enterprising play, a few names that we're familiar with out of some Super Rugby teams, but a lot of guys who I'm sure will be uh, very close to getting a run with with our Super Rugby sides. And to hold that team to nil, uh, it's a, it's a very strong team that mm. again has you know plenty of plenty of young All Black potentials in there. Um, but the the young Wallabies just all over them, absolutely carved them up and and just so much energy and you know every kick that was down the field chased hard just swarming on everything and yeah great great success for those guys yeah definitely and so isaac lucas was starting fly uh fullback for them they had samisi tupu who we've seen with the rebels this year on that one game and a couple of of the young signings from the waratahs like will harrison playing fly half and kicking all those points as you said but really great to see and a few people have come out and say, like, this actually changes a lot for these guys going forward into Super Rugby, into international. It changes that culture. They they don't grow up feeling like every time they're coming across an All Blacks or a New Zealand team that they're losing to them. It changes how they approach all these games. Yeah, a bit of generational change. Guys coming through with no fear could be could be very helpful in the near future. Yeah. And that set them up pretty well for the Junior World Rugby Championships uh, coming up. And that's in Argentina a bit on, later on this year. But definitely a, a nice buoy for them before they head off onto that. Um, other news we had, and we've had a bit more progression in the Falao saga that came out today saying that there definitely was a high-level breach of his code of conduct, though they still haven't actually come up with a... 100% decision on what the actual punishment will be. So we're still waiting on that, and it's just a bit of a waiting game. It's very slow for anything to come out with that. Difficult to say much at this point. They're, they're just going through the process, and, and I'll be very interested in, in how they determine or how, how they rule in, in this case. And just hope I hope it doesn't draw too much attention and make things too messy leading into the uh, rugby championship and, and the end of the super rugby season. Sort of don't want that distraction lingering around. If, if they part ways, then hopefully it can be sort of quick and and clear. Yeah. That way we'd have to talk about it. Hopefully it's, it's sorted out by the time the Waratahs get back from their overseas tour. They probably won't want to come back into more drama. And the only other thing that I think we just continue to see every week that New Zealand rugby is coming out and signing more and more people for the next couple of years, locking them down after the World Cup. The latest is the reserve halfback for the Chiefs, um, Teho Orangi, uh, that somehow gets some all-black time most years and stays in that squad, even though he can't seem to break into the starting team for his own sort of super rugby side. 
But this joins just a whole bunch of people. We've talked about Richie Moanga, Sam Whitelock, even Patrick Tuipilotu, Papili, Liam Coltman. There's just lots and lots of names that New Zealand rugby look like they're just nailing down. Yeah, I think on, on that list we were reading, there's like four hookers. So obviously these guys still uh, think there's there's plenty of opportunity to to knock over the other guys and, and get in the All Blacks team. No one's afraid that the, the incumbents are sticking around, might as well go ply their trade somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, particularly the flexibility where Sam Whitelock's uh, contract, so obviously a central player to the All Blacks, a, a leader, and uh, a guy they want to have around through to the next World Cup, and they've given him opportunity to be a part of Super Rugby, but have flexibility to go to Japan. You know, room for sabbatical in there, and and something uh, he mentioned was was sort of important to him was that he he had a clause that said, look, if if things change and my body doesn't hold up, then at least I can, but I'm allowed to pull the pin. Like that was important for him that he wasn't locked in. Uh, yeah, look. That's that's a really progressive way of dealing with it. Seems to be deal, taking the players' needs into account as well as the the association. So, uh, some again, something that Rugby Australia can probably learn from. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the only other bit of news and a bit sadder for New Zealand rugby here. We saw over the weekend, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later. But Ben Smith, bit of a blow for New Zealand rugby, especially the Highlanders, went down with a bit of a leg injury. Also copped a head-on collision, was bleeding from his chin, but has got a high-level hamstring strain and is going to miss the end of Super Rugby and means it might be the end of his Highlanders career. He's been linked with a move to a French club, uh, Pau, for next year. Yeah, poor, you know, you've got to feel for the guy. He's a, a, a Highlanders uh, hero and, and deserved to have a, a good final season and it's horrible to see it cut short. When I was watching this game and I saw it happen and the replays, I actually thought, thought he could be in real trouble. Yeah, looked like he'd hyperextended that, that left leg really badly and I was thinking more knee knee ligament damage potentially, but uh, I guess in some ways it's a high hamstring strain. While it's, it's one of those awkward injuries you've got to be very careful coming back from, yeah. um, it's it's maybe less permanent damage he's, he's going to be able to play on and if he's not around for the Super Rugby regular season, maybe... Otherwise, it's rugby championship. It'll be his target. Yeah, well, Steve Hansen was very quickly down on the sidelines talking to him during the game there to see how he was looking. He's obviously a bit worried about his fullback stocks depleting um, pretty quickly um, come All Blacks time. Yeah, I can uh, I can see someone like Geordie Barrett. <laughs> I'm going to be well and truly uh, proven wrong. He's going to... Play play out the rest of the season for the Hurricanes at fullback and yeah. make the All Blacks a fullback yeah. and a guy I thought was only good on the wing. I suppose if he gets all this opportunity, he might actually turn out to get enough reps to be decent. So <laughs> you know, kind of kind of going to happen. Yeah, I'm regardless. Sh- I'm sure Coach Hanson was on the phone to the Hurricanes very quickly after he's like, "You keep him at fullback because that's where he's going to be start playing." Um, yeah. Let's get into a bit of the week's recap, and we'll start with the players of the round, as always. And Leah, who you got for us? So I'm picking a player out of the one of the two draws this week. The uh, Chiefs uh, Highlanders draw uh, was a really really good game, and and a player who stood out to me was Luke Jacobson, who's the blind side for the Chiefs. And this is a guy who uh, made his Super Rugby debut last year. Uh, he's played most games this season. And just another another busy forward, 
making lots of tackles, taking lots of hit-ups, making metres, beating defenders, breaking the line and just being a pest in the rucks, turning the ball over and making very few errors. Um, like he was just he was visible throughout that game and, and he even got a try for himself. So yeah. uh, a player a player who when you've got so much talent in the New Zealand teams and particularly, you know, they're well known for their back rowers and, and how many elite guys they've got there. There's just another guy who's who's looking like he's gonna be putting his hand up and hat in the ring. For me, uh I, I had to do it, had to put on the leading try scorer for the super rugby at this time. And that's Falau Fainga for the Brumbies. Uh, this guy had a nice, accurate line-out throwing on the weekend. Was active around the field, but it was the Mauls that you saw him in. Scored three tries on the backs of the Mauls from this game. And really helped to lead his forwards around as well. Uh, it was a really tough one for the Brumbies that started a bit slow. But it's great to see that he's really continuing his form into the middle part. And hopefully into the end of this season. And he's pretty much solidified that uh, Wallabies jersey now. But has he addressed his rig arch? What do we what do we know about his rig? It's funny you listen to the commentator the commentators in this game. They're like, oh, like you saw like Checker was here a couple of weeks ago and told him to sort his rig, and he obviously has. And it's like, like because he scored three tries, rigs in order. Like, I mean, he's playing the majority of the game, and he's been almost forced to because they've lost Josh Man Ray from the bench, and they're sort of not really confident in their backup hooker now. So he's playing more and more minutes. Look, I'm, I'm going to cover for Toby here and just put the point out there that not everyone who's a talented player has an impressive rig. Some people just just don't have impressive rigs, <laughs> but they still they can still carry the job anyway. So, um, look, if he's if he's scoring the tries and throwing his lineouts nice and straight, uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious actually to see his stats. I know Damon Fitzpatrick from the Waratahs is currently the most accurate lineout thrower. He's got the best completion percentage. Um, if if Falafaing is up up and around that sort of figure, um, beyond that, and with the with the scrum combinations he's going to have with those Brumbies front rowers, like that's that's the royal flush of of things you need in a hooker, really. Mm. Well, I think he'd be looking to try and get to that top hooker try scorer in a Super Rugby season now, I reckon. And it's Malcolm Marks, I think, has twelve tries in a season for the Lions previously, so it's well within his grasp to get another three tries or so. But yeah, kudos to him. Toby's written into us. Uh, unfortunately, he decided he'd stay in Portugal for another night. Uh, our trendy jet-setting rig of a brother. Uh, but uh, just working on his rig down in Lisbon, on, yeah. having a few a few treats. Uh, I'm sure he's doing a few bicep curls, a few port runs. But um, he's he's nominated Bryce Hegarty from the Reds, and that's probably going to lead us into a bit of our recap. The the Reds played the Sunwolves. They hosted them down in Brisbane and it was a tough one initially when they played the Sunwolves first time this season they had to come back but this time they were a little bit more clinical but a game that was really dominated by two colours the yellow and the red Angus Gardner dealing out six cards in this game including two red cards Um, that's really what the highlight of this was and in the end the Reds took it 32 to 26 but it seemed just a bit of a circus by the end of this yeah, I don't know that the cards were uncalled for. Like, I think they were all justified by by the letter of the law. So, I guess if we think there's too many, then you've got to consider what what the laws say. Um, but I'm actually surprised the Reds didn't make more of this advantage because they had 15 minutes in the first half where they were playing against 14 men, 
And by 10 minutes into the second half, they were playing against 14 men again as Masuera got his second yellow and got yeah. sent off. So, like, there's plenty of opportunity to, um, you know, focus on just simple simple work and, and being clinical and, and taking advantage of the space that inevitably is going to be somewhere out there on the field. Um, and they actually, they, you know, they, they scored a couple of tries with the advantage, but they, they let the, um, the Sunwolves stay in touch as well. And, uh, and then unfortunately, you know, late in the game, you Harry Hawkins with a bit of a loose boot. It's not, not really, um, what we want to see guys getting sent off in these games, um, not going to do his, um, Wallabies hopes any, any benefits It's showing sort of poor temperament like that. Yeah. Definitely, and I think you're right. They needed, they should have scored more points in this game. This is obviously a good opportunity for them to try and grab a bonus point win rather than just the four points, get the five. Uh, they had the normal players standing out again in this game. Toby obviously thought Bryce Hegarty impressed with his just management of that back line, which I do agree with, and his kicking um, and just playing territory in this game was really good matching what Hayden Parker really does. Um, their young guy on the wing that's sort of been forced to start through a couple of injuries, uh, Jock Campbell, had so many opportunities in this game. I don't know whether it's just because he's a bit younger, he's a bit smaller, but he just didn't seem to have that flair to finish a few of those try-scoring opportunities. He got tackled at the one-meter line about two or three times in this game. Well, I mean, he, he did make a lot of meters as well, um, but yeah, I guess... He's um he's not the not the biggest bloke out there and and um what what else can you say? It's not his day. I think they had a they had a guy on the wing who was the previous guy on the wing who got left for dead like three times in a row and yeah, a week Jack, or two ago. Jack Wright, I believe that's his name. Yeah, and and like they wouldn't even give that guy the ball. So uh, at least Jock, Jock Campbell's made a made a decent dent with the ball in, in this one. Um, you know, we'll see more of him. Jack he's, Hardy, he's not going to lose his spot. Jack Hardy, not Jack. Jack Hardy, yeah. I just don't understand where Filippo Dalgunu has gone. Couldn't tell you. I haven't seen anything. I was looking today to see if there was some injury or something for him, but couldn't find anything for him. But disappointing for the Sunwolves. I mean, a much better showing for them past last week. Finally, though, we are seeing a bit of talk about uh, Warren Vossiato, the number eight slash inside centre for the Sunwolves talking about him coming back to Australia and he was hanging out with Moses Sarovi apparently previously had played with him but apparently Queensland Reds are interested in signing him thank god is that um is is are we aware of what's happening with their back rows someone like Higginbotham moving on at the end of the season guy like that they're trying to replace I believe that his contract is up at the end of the season though I haven't heard of him actually I think we've heard yeah. uh, anywhere else or overseas at at the moment, but you'd think that you could get a a pretty well a mid twenties number eight that's obviously doing well in Super Rugby. They'd be stoked to have him, other than to bolster sort of their their forward pack where Higginbotham's ten years older than anyone starting in there. Yeah, true. So opportunity to just refresh and oh, not that they're an old team really. I mean Higginbotham's probably carrying carrying a lot of years more than everyone else and dragging that average age up. Still, guys like. Um, Scott Hanson Young and Liam Wright and Caleb Timu, plenty, plenty of youth in there. Adam Korchuk, uh, yeah, Adam Korchuk's still around somewhere. Mm. Well, yeah. So on the weekend, their starting forward pack, he was ten years older than the next forward. So everyone else was twenty-two or younger. 
Yep. Which is pretty ridiculous, but uh, impressive, impressive nonetheless. But that that red popped the the Queensland Reds on the table up to second place at least for Friday night. Um, up until the Brumbies played on Saturday night, and we'll get onto that one now. And they took on the Blues back home at GIO Stadium. A long bit of travel for them coming back from South America for this one. And they did start a little bit slow, but they managed to pull themselves up. They managed to go back to their forwards, go back to set piece. Um, there was a bit of worry with an early injury to Rory Arnold in this one, um, but the Brumbies managed to get this one 26-21. Yeah, and, and a good contest, but um, Blues let themselves down with cards and, and just too many penalties, too much, too much ball handed back to the Brumbies. Too many opportunities um, just handed back. It's the, probably the Blues being one of the less disciplined team that they've been improving this year, but um, still, still just can't quite keep keep the eighty minutes all all together. And the Brumbies, yeah, they they really powered on through those forwards, and and we saw Laurie Fisher talking talking <laughs> up his his sides uh, prospects in the in the in the way that they're they're scoring their tries and saying. Well, you know, really, who who cares? They're finding ways to win, and if that's not entertaining enough for some people, we'll get stuff. They they'll do what they need to do to yeah, get they, the W. They get the points, and we saw, yeah, Young Gun and debutant Len Ikitao that you might know from NRC with Canberra, but he really stood up well in this and did a few good things in terms of some good straight on running, some good offloads, and some good kicking, and really showed that maybe there is a future for the number thirteen jersey in Canberra because it's really been Tevita Kundranis for years and no one else has really ever taken a hold of him. But nice to see a little bit of young talent emerging there as well. Do you think he's any chance at um, sliding in a bit, maybe playing 12? Is he is he the right balance of player? Is, could he potentially uh, find his find his way to 12 instead of Simone or, or Tom Wright? Look, it's an interesting prospect. He's definitely got the hands to play a bit more of that... Um, playmaker and set up role as well as being a pretty straightforward ball runner and he did show that he can do a bit of kicking a bit of a left foot kick on him so potentially if they're still struggling at 12 because Simone again didn't do too badly in this game still a couple of errors uh, but they really obviously haven't settled on a number 12 for that team but the rest of the team still standing out Banks again a bit of a strong game Lelia Fano controlled it and Seemed to really bring his team back into it. And as I said, Rory Arnold, a uh, slight ankle injury, but doesn't seem anything serious. And I was really impressed with youngster Darcy Swain coming off the bench uh, as well, who really seemed to still dominate in the line out and still be a bit of that physical presence. A little bit of uh, discipline issues, got offside a couple of times, but obviously just looking to be very physical. But why don't we... We should probably go back, and I've sort of jumped over the Rebels team, and the Rebels, the only team playing this weekend that didn't actually get any points in terms of a losing bonus point or a drawing point or a winning point. But they were in Wellington, and it was such a change from their first half where they just got absolutely dominated, 26-0 at half time to their second half, and they brought it back. And really, it looked like they had a chance to come back and really snatch a victory here, but... Hurricanes held on, even though they only scored three points in the second half. Twenty nine nineteen final score. Yeah, this this first half was very forgettable for the Rebels. The defense got carved up almost immediately. It looked like the Hurricanes had done some um, set up a lot of moves that were going to draw Marika Karabidi out of position and get him over committing 
in, to his inside man and, and leaving a man out wide to to charge down the line. And uh, I didn't like Hodge at 12. I, I didn't think that was a very good performance that first half at least. Yeah. And the Genia-Quaid combo, um, I guess, tried tried to make up the difference and started forcing the ball. But the, the forcing these passes wide, throwing cutouts and just handing handing on intercepts back to Hurricanes who were containing that really well and uh, I think I don't know it's just like a bit of a illness in the Australian size at the moment it seems like when we're under pressure and we're trying to create something out of nothing this this propensity to throw a lot of cutout balls you know cut out two or even three guys mm. in a compressed blindside um, attack and and we're just so it's such a high risk move when you're playing so flat it's a long pass unless it's an absolute rocket and the, the other team isn't pressing up we're, we're gonna we're gonna lose um we're gonna turn the ball over we're gonna throw intercepts and and create an even bigger hole to get out of so uh it was it was good to see them come back out in the second half and score some points uh it did look like they they came out with a plan to utilize their forwards more at the set piece yeah um the scrums and malls were really strong and and they finally developed a platform they could unlock the backs yeah i think you're right i don't think i didn't particularly like hodge at 12 and when billy meeks came on it seemed to spark a few things and seems to change a few things for him uh hayne hale petty first game back was a little bit flat in as well like didn't seem to have too much of an impact i did like that he was giving genia another option to go maybe to the blind side and things and change that really obvious sort of tactic either one up to the forwards or to quade just gave him another option but yeah he didn't really quite impress in in a guy that's probably trying to get into that wallabies 15 jumper yeah i I wasn't particularly impressed and and i guess in terms of guys who were more noticeable definitely meeks and then campbell magne coming on um these guys off the bench were were far more noticeable maybe maybe they came on at the right time once the rebels had got some momentum back but um Again, it's a bit like the Waratahs, and and you don't expect maybe quite as much from the Rebels because they're they're a younger team. There's you know fewer caps in that group, but there's a lot of there's a lot of Wallabies in this in this side. And when things are going badly, like you concede a couple of tries early, you you want to see some some senior guys stand up, bring the guys in, settle everything down, steady the ship. And it didn't feel like that was happening it felt like everyone just got even more flustered and tried tried to force the ball around and it, and it didn't work for them at all so it took dave wessels and the coaching staff at half time to really straighten them up and unfortunately they were too big a hole to get out of big shame they didn't get that last penalty to at least be within seven mm. um and as you said no points for that week yeah whereas the hurricanes well the first half you would have said they're absolutely clinical and looking at their best they're running holes and running straight through players. You see Nani Laobampi starting his day with uh, just running through about five different Rebels defenders to score. So they're well and truly put themselves out. Um, pretty much them and the Crusaders are just in a tier by themselves in that New Zealand conference now. And it's really going to be tough for anyone to catch them, let alone another New Zealand team that seems to get into the finals. But they're, they're looking very, very strong. Yeah, they're... they're... First half very strong. Maybe the second half they eased off because they knew they didn't have to push too hard, but they still comfortably made it home. And uh, yeah, they're definitely in that extra, they're the extra tier above, uh, and probably 
still feeling fairly uh, hard done by in that they they can't you know be be finishing higher on the table and, yeah. and getting more home ground advantage late into the final series when they're clearly the second best team in the comp mm. second only the Crusaders. Yeah, well, when they're eight points ahead of any other team except the Crusaders, they feel a little bit hard done by. But that's the way we have this competition, at least for one more year. Uh, next game, and the Waratahs started their tour over in Pretoria, and that's more or less a full-strength Bulls team. Uh, they looked good. I think it's probably the best game I've seen from the Waratahs playing this year, and maybe it's because they got out of Sydney, got away from all this drama that's been following them, but... They looked like they could win this game. They tied it up, but unfortunately, they just missed a few chances there at the end. 28-21, the Waratahs go down. Yeah, impressive with a team that's had a few distractions and and goes away on tour. And I I don't know how much uh, the the general population and and fans were expecting from this game, but I I was really impressed and glad I actually watched it full 80 minutes. Um, you saw saw a Tars team, you know the the scrums were still still pretty weak. Like that 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 group of forwards, guys playing out of position, and obviously not our first pick uh, due to some injuries that guys are still coming back from and and suspension as well. Um, made made that a weak point, but the lineout was strong. We stole some ball from the from the Bulls and um, the offloading game that we've been seeing a bit of this week, we we seem to step it up a bit. So, again, not not kicking on the first and second phase as frequently, trying to put the ball through the hands a bit more often and, and not cut every second man out and just chase the width. Um, we, we made some good offloads, and in some phases it was the fourth or fifth offload that went wrong, but we were making a lot of gains from those early offloads and, and, and just simple rugby, simple running rugby from the Bulls as well. So... That that first half was was very entertaining and and fairly even, um, and the Bulls probably in the game just just kept taking their opportunities, kicking a lot of penalties, just just gradually adding to the score. Uh, a bit of help from the ref, I think there were some poor calls there that gave them more opportunities to to kick penalties and and get territory. But mm. you know you can't can't have everything your own way. That the Tars just weren't quite good enough in the end. Well, you say that. The Tars lineout was pretty good, but their scrum again continues to be pretty poor. They got more or less dominated for the majority of this game, didn't they? Uh, really by that big Bulls pack. Yeah, absolutely. It's and and you know we've got guys like Hannigan playing at number eight, and we know he's not a number eight. He's, he cannot he's, play number eight. Do not ever put him at number eight again. He had no yeah. idea what he was doing at the back of the scrum. And and then you've got guys filling in. In in the second row was it Stanford fourth and Rob Simmons starting and and they've locked together and and that's not too bad but um I, I just don't think the front row is is up to the the Bulls front row not not a good matchup and um it was actually surprising when those when those reserves came on you had Robinson Tom Robinson yeah, rejoin so, back in yeah which is great um that made a difference for sure mm-hmm. and uh. A new, a new. You're, you're a fan of the new man, Hugh Sinclair, who came on at number eight. Yeah, I just really liked his control at the back. He really seemed to realize when the scrum was starting to go back, starting to get in trouble, and he was really good at getting that ball out, which is something I really noticed Hannigan wasn't able to do. And I mean, it resulted in Waratahs scored two tries, uh, first phase off scrums from it. So you got to think that your scrums doing pretty well if you're doing that. If you're not going backwards, not. 
uh, not getting put under pressure in your backs. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think possibly as well, maybe that we, we'd realise that our scrums just weren't going to hold up. We, we weren't, we were doing our best, but we weren't expecting there to be more of a contest. So the emphasis was then on, no, just ball in, ball out. Let's, let's not muck about here. Let's, Surely, Let's just get it out to the backs. Surely, surely they knew at the start of the game that their their scrum wasn't going to be able to hold up. Yeah, surely you say they that, weren't but... going to that. Like, yeah, we're going to take down this this Bulls team. They're just way bigger, and they've just got a Springbok front row. That's fine, whatever. There's a lot of pride in every set of forwards, and particularly front rowers. They they're not going to go down without a fight. And I, I think it's just you know you you measure up and and you try and get something at least parity with with such a strong opposition pack and we, we really didn't find parity at any point so no. not in the scrum sorry and and it just became this you know ball in ball out make sure we at least get to use it we can't afford to uh, like turn every scrum into a effectively a, a ex- expectation of a penalty to the bulls because we can't keep keep the thing up so yeah. uh, it was good they got it out and as you said a couple of tries um not not trying to overcomplicate things with every uh, back running a, a curious angled line and, and all the you know orchestrating this complex move mm-hmm. guys you know make one little mistake or or you know look up at the wrong time and all of a sudden we've, we've bungled the first phase and, and handed the ball back so yeah. simplified play good for when you're on tour don't try and learn anything new. Just execute the simple stuff. Stay in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, as you said, Bulls forwards were very good. Even at the breakdown, they turned over a lot of ball. Um, I've just been talking about the props. I've got to shout out their bit of a young gun, Lizzo Gaboka, their number one there, who's been really good the last couple of weeks. Um, he actually thanked me on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, after I shouted him out saying that he's a, a big gun. So... Um, glad to see that he's an avid listener and follower of us on, on social media as well. Um, but how about Dwayne Vermeulen taking that intercept and running about uh, 50, 50 metres for the try? Oh, he's just such a quality player. Like, number eight, lots of experience, very active and, and in everything. And, like, that physicality, any anyone who carries the ball too high and gives him a shot at ripping the ball out as well, yeah. he was just all over him like a rash. He was just overpowering anyone who brought him the ball it was it was his for the taking and and that was another factor the waratahs guys like guys like ned hannigan you know sinclair like these tall guys if you if you go into contact with the ball too high and the team's got you pegged um and and decide they're just going to focus on ripping it out i mean it's just turnover after turnover the bulls were taking office and um they they really needed to seek the ground early and, and um, get the support through and go quick phases because these guys are all swarming our ball carrier. There should have been space further out. Yeah, I think it's actually Dwayne Vermeulen posted, I think, on his own um, social media accounts that he was still catching his breath uh, today from that run uh, <laughs> because he's not used to it. But yeah, definitely. Humble man. <laughs> definitely just a massive human. And that's that's a little bit of what the Waratahs and probably the Wallabies are missing a little bit of that physicality. I think the Bulls also suffered a bit having a brand new centre pairing. Obviously, they've lost Jesse Creel to that ankle surgery and they didn't have Odendahl in this game. And I think it really meant they didn't really use or unlock their backs a lot in this game at all. But the one thing I probably want to call out, and I said it to you a bit earlier, Leo, but Curtis Rona. 
I think he's got to be gone. He's, he's, he's gone. gone. You thinking Newsom belongs on that wing? I think so. I mean, this is a guy that's come over from rugby league and was a prolific try scorer in rugby league, and he can't do what I, must be like the first thing that, or well, not maybe not the first thing, but one of the major things that rugby league wingers do, and that's jump up for the corner getting your legs knocked out and just putting the ball down with one hand. And he knocked it on. And it's like, I've seen you do this in rugby leagues several times, heaps and heaps of times for the North Queensland Cowboys. And you're screwing this up. And it was just like, sorry, if you can't do that, you're not really offering that much more than what Newsom can. Yeah, look, I, I really like Newsom. I think he's a very good player, maybe a bit underrated. Um, maybe... We haven't seen enough of him for for a lot of people to see the point of difference he brings. I, I just think he's actually he's very athletic. He's good under the high ball, and he's and he's consistent. He doesn't make a lot of errors. Now, uh, the wingers in this game for the Waratahs, both Clark and Rona, were actually really active. They they led the meters. They led they led carries. They led um, clean breaks. Uh, for the side, so we did actually get the ball, and and this is a sign that we were playing well, that we actually got the ball out to the wingers, because these guys are usually missing in action, because we can barely ever get the ball past 12. They did do a lot of good things, and I guess the difference between someone like Rona and Cam Clark is the errors, so a couple of turnovers, and and that sort of error, scoring a try, we expect it now, professional error, wingers, they're they're all amazing athlete, gymnast type guys who can do ridiculous things, hold on to the ball, Full out stretch and score a try. If he uh, if he continues to do it week to week, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like you, you expect more. Um, I personally would already have Newsom in that in on that wing, but um, you know, obviously Rona's bringing something. His offload game was pretty strong in this one. Um, he was there with with Phipps charging down the line, so we'll have to wait and see. I, th- I think he's probably got the coach's ear at the moment, but I, I think Newsom deserves his run. I, I agree. Let's jump into some of these other games, and that's all the Australian games covered. But we'll start with a couple of these draws, and we'll start on Friday night. The Crusaders hosted the Sharks, and a few names missing from the Crusaders team. Look, the backline was pretty young. They didn't have Moanga there, didn't have Crotty. We saw a brand new centre pairing of uh, Jack Goodhue and Braden Enno as their 12 and 13, which is a bit of an exciting prospect. But the Sharks really came and stepped it up. They still led around by Kerwin Bosch, and it was his boot that kept him in it. Uh, no tries from the Sharks in this, but kicking penalties kept up with uh, the three tries that the Crusaders scored, and it was 21-all at the end. Yeah, it's a it's a very funny mix. Like, the Crusaders did a lot right. They had a lot of ball. They did all the running, got all the meters, did all the work. Um, and it's just the fact that they conceded a few critical penalties in the range of Kerwin Bosch and seven penalties later, they've they've kept in touch and they've they've snuck a draw out of it. So uh, it's pretty amazing, actually. Like the the Sharks were a bit hopeless in some areas. Like they their lineout was pretty faulty and unreliable. They missed a lot of tackles. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit bizarre that the Crusaders didn't do more, but I guess they're just a little bit um, stuttering and sputtering with with the the guys they had in. Uh, there was a, some injuries and some offensive errors and, and very solid D from both sides, which probably generated those errors you know, on attack. Yeah. Um, and the conditions were slippery. It was a bit weird, that, that like a lot of drop ball, a lot of spilt ball. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it is surprising that a Crusaders side that that in a lot of ways seemed pretty dominant uh, were were ma- matched through the boot of Kerr and Bosch. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the big thing they were just lacking a little bit of direction on the Crusaders side of the ball. So they look, they had all the possession, they had seventy percent, seventy percent of territory. They made the Sharks make three times as many tackles as the Crusaders had to do in this game. But just because they didn't have a Crotty, they didn't have Moanga, didn't even have someone like Havili at the back there. They had a, a bunch of these young guys, and I think they were still struggling to sort of to sort of control their attack and move themselves around the field quite as, uh, what is the word, easily, enthusiastically. Effectively. 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 Um, as effectively as they normally would do. So I think that's really, they didn't weren't able to capitalise on a few decisions and, yeah, end up in a draw and a little bit of a scare because that almost broke their, their home game streak. Well, I think it breaks their home game win streak. Well, no um, streak then. Yeah, yeah, but no, but there's a difference. They, they, they were talking about 24 games in a row, 24 wins in a row at home and... You know, this is now twenty-five undefeated, perhaps. So yeah, twenty-five it's games not, without loss at home. Just not not it. quite the same. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's slightly different stat line. Um, not a game that we're probably going to go back and watch again for any reason. But if you do decide, there's a pretty good falcon in the fifty-eighth minute. If you want to chuckle, <laughs> there you go. When you see someone torp a ball as hard as they can directly into an adjacent forward's head, it's it's pretty entertaining they were like worried about him to start with they were like oh god someone's dead and then it's like oh no he's all right <laughs> i would be i would be struggling after that ball into the head let's keep going i mean the sharks they're they're gonna move on they're gonna verse the chiefs and the chiefs were a team that we thought was probably gonna be a bit of a dropping down in forsyth bar versus the highlanders weekend but probably what a lot of people would say one of the best games of the year this was so back and forth between the highlanders and chiefs and I initially was thinking, yep, the Highlanders are all over them, but every time it looked like they asserted some dominance, the Chiefs just came rumbling all the way back and it ended up at a draw, 31-all. Yeah, I guess really evenly matched and, and the Chiefs, like, you know, really, really respect their their desire to stay in this game. They're, again, ravaged by injury, multiple changes. Yeah, Chiefs suffering a fair bit of adversity, players out and... Uh, look, the the really for both teams, um, discipline was good. There were very few penalties in this game. That's one of the reasons it flowed so well. Like it was another one which which felt like we played eighty minutes in the first sixty. It just it yeah. was just fast and frenetic. Lots of tries, nine all up, um, and and really the only errors were missed tackles, which you know the, at the pace they were playing and the ball flying around. I'm not surprised that was a bit high. <laughs> There were a few turnovers, but it was pretty balanced each way. So they, they both got lots of ball given to them and lots of opportunity. Um, the Highlanders had, had the better of the possession, but only four tries. The, the Chiefs managed five. Um, I guess probably the kicking was was the one thing that let the Chiefs down. They, they had the opportunity to get a win here if they could just convert, and they, they missed a couple, and, and they, we end up with 31 all. Yeah, and... I don't think you could really go through any player that you weren't sort of really impressed by here. I'm just looking through these squads and I just remember, look, you go through the Highlanders, like front row, like Hemapo and Franklin in the locks there were massive. So was Elliot Dixon. But in the background, Josh Awani continues to impress. 
as well as um, people like Rob Thompson and Matt Faddis on the wing and Ben Smith before he went down again. But you go through and exactly the same thing on the other side. Tyler Ardron was massive, we already talked about. Jacobson and Lynette Brown just continues to do everything he can to keep this Chiefs team relevant. And he's really putting in a lot of effort there. But yeah, impressive on both sides. Yeah, Jackson Hemapo as well. He was actually early on, he was my early tip for player of the round. But uh, Jacobson just, just kept rising and appearing in, for that Chiefs side. And I actually thought they were going to get the win. So I was sort of thinking, oh, which which guy for the winning team? Got to pick, pick one. But with a draw, yeah, Jackson Hemapo, um, a very close second yeah. to Luke Jacobson. Was, in that the, after, in... was that after he got like three sort of different hit-ups where he offloaded again and he just seemed and then the next person would offload and like he suddenly was there again he just obviously as soon as he goes down he's back up and running straight for the next ruck yeah pretty much and he's he, he you're right he offloaded that player then got tackled the halfback got there popped the ball to Hemapo was straight up on his feet and ready for the next hit up and um just energizer buddy stuff he he couldn't quite uh Energizer Bunny stuff, he, he wouldn't stay down. He was very, very active and, and crossing the gain line, giving his team the front football. So another impressive forward for the for the Highlanders. And we'll move on to the last game of the round, and that was the Hagiwaras having another home game and hosting the Stormers that have been on a little bit of a streak uh, coming over. And a reasonable close one, not the most exciting game here. Again, the Hagiwara is able to hold on to the ball a little bit more than the Stormers, but a lot of drop ball on both sides here. Hagiwara is just getting the best of it uh, in the end, and 30 points to 25, they they stay in the the run in, in that South African conference. And you tipped it last week, like the um, missing, missing duplicy um, obviously affects the Stormers a lot, but... Here he was in this one, kicking all the penalties, yeah. uh, along with Willemser. And I don't know this. This is probably the game where you really, you really would have liked to see the Stormers go for the line and and try and score a try or two rather than just constantly kicking penalties because they really just couldn't keep up with the, the Haguaras. It's you can kick penalties and and it's kind of a, a bit of a self limiting prospect. It, you're probably not going to kick enough penalties to to crack 20-something points, even in extreme circumstances. And if another team's going to go and score um, two or three tries, like you, you, you can't expect to stay in touch. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the problem, I think, that the Bulls have had a few times where they continue to kick penalties and then they find themselves in these closer games. Um, and the Stormers are lowest in the Super Rugby for scoring tries. And... They, they do have problems if this is going to keep happening. And look, we've seen the Stormers' back three be absolutely electric. And in this game, whether it was a combination of the Haguaras being a little bit better and a little bit smarter in their kicking, they didn't seem to give... Especially, they didn't kick much at all to Dylan Lay's wing. They sort of kept it away, kept it on yeah. Sergio Peterson's or Sinatla when he got injured because they know he's not as much of a threat in terms of he's just going to run it back. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, then they just tried to keep it in the forwards. And the the Hagiwara's forwards are just as big, just as mobile, and probably have better handling than um, these big South African forwards. So they, they don't win that battle. Yeah, well, when you've got the back row, the Matera, uh, Kramer and Lozana, like, 
lots of carries and and lot lot of gain line advantage like front football for the backs. Yeah. Um. And and you can see that the share of the work across the Haguaris back line is much more obvious than the Stormers, who really those back three are carrying a lot of the work. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, as you said, the Haguaris back row was really involved, especially in the first two tries. I mean. You had um, Domingo Motti just put Buffelli straight through the line untouched and then he just pops it across to Matera for the first try. And then in the second one, you had Lozana throw a perfect cutout ball, the number eight, throwing it out to the wing and then eventually unleashes Moyano to go over in the corner. And it's just a, a bit more of a change and the Stormers just weren't in the Hakuwaris 22 challenging like that. They were only just in between the 22 and halfway. So really what that ends up doing to like our conference in the finals, like the Stormers are still at that number eight spot at the bottom of the sort of playoffs, but they're on equal points with the Brumbies and it's really only three points in differential that are keeping the Stormers in it. And the uh, looks looking like the Highlanders, look, they're just hanging on to seventh place and they may well drop out, especially without Ben Smith. And we might find that the... New Zealand Conference does only have two representatives this year, but the Brumbies and Reds are right behind them. They're now caught above the Waratahs, which Waratahs must be unused to being in that fourth sort of place position. I've, I've really struggled to see if the Waratahs making the finals this year. Yeah, it is looking like the Brumbies have got a good run home. The Rebels are, are still quite dominant uh, when when they've got their... Uh, Full full team in, and I think we prefer when Meeks is in there in the in the inside center spot. Um, it's nice that it's close though. Like the there's very few teams that are completely out. Even even though there's clearly two out in front, um, that that middle of the pack. There's a lot of competition. It's only you know one one round and and a player Everything that's changes. Yeah, one round and a team that's down twelfth, thirteenth, even maybe fourteenth. Um, is is very close to jumping into the eighth spot, so it's good. There's there's what uh, six rounds to go. We round thirteen this weekend of eighteen, so six six rounds to go. Um, all the teams should be playing like there's something to play for. There's there's only really the Sunwolves and um, maybe the the Chiefs who are uh, so far down the list that they're really going to struggle to to stay in touch. Yeah. Um, before we get into round 13, we'll bring you all our tips, but we should also mention we had another round of the Rapid Rugby on the weekend. The Western Force, after having a few weeks off, um, continued their sort of Asian sort of part in this showcase, heading up to Singapore to versus the Asia-Pacific Dragons. Unfortunately, uh, wasn't telecast on SBS or Fox this weekend, so unfortunately can't give you a full in-depth sort of recap for this, but... Doesn't sound like the most exciting game. The Force ended up taking this seven points to three, so a little bit more of a grind, I, I dare say, and probably uh, not exactly what Twiggy Forrest was hoping for with with uh, Rapid Rugby in this round. Yeah, the scoreline of three to seven doesn't exactly scream no more boring to me. Um, uh, without without knowing uh, too much about the game, like the. Surprise! There weren't more points, but I guess the best part of this, the thing I take away, is that um, there's teams that are competitive with the Western Force, who've been clearly the strongest side, uh, being that they've been together and and playing uh, competitive games like you know higher higher level uh, opposition 
for some time. Um, it's it's good to know that they're not just going to walk through this competition and all the different fixtures and blow everyone away. Yeah, exactly. Parity is a good thing to see, obviously, and uh, hopefully we'll probably see a bit more of it with the Western Force heading up to Hong Kong to versus the South China Tigers this weekend, and they were a bit stronger at home, and I reckon that'll be another sort of stronger game for us to see, hopefully, this weekend. But, Leo, let's get into it. Round 13 of Super Rugby. How are you feeling? Are you going to feel confident? I think you you topped us all in tipping last weekend. Is that right? Yeah, this season a, a rare a rare victory for me in the rounds. Um, I guess the only ones I didn't tip were the two draws. But anyone who's tipping those two out of seven is uh is a, got a crystal ball that I don't have. <laughs> so we'll start off on Friday afternoon, and the Blues at home in Eden Park, and the Hurricanes come into town. What are you thinking? Uh, well, there's always the the dice roll on what these teams put out as a as a lineup. Uh, they're not available to us. We're recording Tuesday night, so still a ways to go before we hear who they're going to play. But um, at full strength, I would expect the Hurricanes to do this comfortably. Um, as they showed last week, they're they're one of the top two sides. We've got plenty of attacking power. Just got to stay focused. Um, I still think their weak point is their forward pack. Uh, the Blues, I don't know that they've got such a good forward pack that they can really expect to have dominance there. So probably pretty evenly matched in the forwards, but the, the Hurricanes back should be superior. Yeah, i got to admit, and it looks like Toby does it as well, Hurricanes even away from home should have too much for him here. Um, I think it will still be a reasonably close one. Uh, Blues at home tend to put up a bit more of a fight, but yeah. Kane's... They do have a good record this year at yeah. home. But Canes Kane's are on a bit of a uh, role at the moment, so I don't I don't expect that to let up quite yet. Uh, Friday night, and we've got the Rebels versus the Reds. Rebels coming back home to Amy Park, and I think they'll be happy to be home after uh, being of, away for a little bit and being in New Zealand and a bit of a tough one last week. But I'm pretty sure I I don't think you'd argue the Rebels should should take this one. Well, you'd think by now they're going to have to be able to turn their fortunes around. They've had three losses. They've had the Sharks, the Waratahs, and then this last week, obviously, against the, the Hurricanes, very good side. Um, the Reds should be an easier prospect than most of those teams. And, yeah, hopefully at home, get focus back, simplify, uh, refresh, home-cooked meal, all that. Um, I, I, think the, I think the Rebels will, will win. Um, but it, it's still very interesting to see um, what happens with this back line. Like, are they going to just keep trying to force Hodge in somewhere? I just don't know where he fits. I think they had a, a, work, a set of working combinations there, and I think adding Hodge in, while he's a very skillful player, he brings a lot um, to the side. I, I feel like it's disrupting these combinations more than it's uh, advancing their cause. So what would you do? Would you put him on the bench? I think you have to. Like no one's played themselves out of a out of a spot. Like unless they unless they drop Korobiti. And I guess the the difference there like Korobiti showed himself to be a bit of a defensive weak link early against the Hurricanes. Does he get penalized and they they put him on the bench? Maybe, but obviously Korobiti on the bench doesn't give you as much utility, so it's not not the ideal guy to have on the bench. Um, Hodge on the wing, I think that's fine. He's got plenty of pace. He's got the boot for returning the ball. Um, that's that's probably the only thing I can think of. I think everyone else is 
kind of holding their own and and God knows what happens when bloody Matt Tamua shows up whenever that is. Well, luckily that's not for a little while still. For me, I reckon, I actually think that they should put Dane Haylett Petty back to the bench for a bit and put Hodge starting at fullback and then you have cover cover for um, Hodge to move in if anyone gets injured to anything else and Haylett Petty can slot in. Otherwise, you just pick whoever's having not firing that game and Hodge takes their spot pretty much anywhere in the back line. Yeah, I think you can do that too. Uh, but isn't Haylett Petty the captain when he's fit? Yeah, but every there's I know, been I know. about three different captains on that team because yeah, that's Cottrell that's true, and but... English also captain and I think I think like it's like the start of the season they they talk to players and they they set things up. This you know Haylett Petty on paper somewhere is probably the captain. Um, which makes it a bit more awkward to shift him out. But, yeah, I agree on on what I saw last week and, and previous weeks with Hodge at fullback. I don't think they'd lose much, if anything, they might gain hmm. with Hodge at fullback. And, and both players have a lot of utility value. So uh, either way, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'll be interested. I think there's potential for Corabidi to drop. Well, uh... Australian teams are going to have to get used to the fact that sometimes they're going to have to put their captain on the bench because at some point it's going to happen to Hooper and the Wallabies. So they're going to have to learn. So buck up, David Wessels. You're probably going to be captain, uh, coaching the Wallabies by the time that um, we have to do this to Hooper in five years when he's old and busted. Um, but you got to you got to learn. Um, let's keep moving. Toby taking the Rebels as well. And then early on Saturday morning, the Bulls are taking on the Crusaders, and this is starts the Crusaders South African tour. And this is a tricky one. Uh, again, I would expect that on tour against a potential uh, finals opponent that the Crusaders would want to put up a strong team and make sure that they uh, establish a bit of history against these South African teams should they run into them later in the in the or not the regular season, but in the finals series. Um, I think the Crusaders can do it away from home. Uh, I don't think the Bulls will be able to match them, particularly the back line uh, with someone like Creel out uh, and, and definitely just this, this attitude the South African teams have kicking a lot of penalties and not, not chasing points. I think with the Crusaders, you definitely need to be ready to chase points. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And you're right, they're going to have... Uh, a lot of these guys coming back into the team in terms of people like potentially Crotty and definitely Richie Moonga. So they're going to bring a bit more of that maturity back in the team, probably Sam Whitelock as well. Last time they were in Pretoria, the, the Crusaders put 62 points on the Bulls. And that was back in 2017. So I'm sure the Bulls would like a little bit of revenge, but I don't think it's coming this week. And Toby agrees, Crusaders for all three of us. Yeah, I don't think it'll be 62 points, but... um. You know, there's there's upset potential in this one. The Crusaders haven't been themselves every week this year. Uh, the only way I can see them doing it is, like we've seen that the Crusaders have been a bit vulnerable early in games, so they'd have to come out very strong and get a good roll on. But I just don't, I don't think the Bulls can establish that much dominance. They're just going to kick a couple of penalties, and even if it's nine points to nil after half an hour because the Bulls have been dominant, the Crusaders don't really have a problem running that down. Yeah, Bulls forwards will be key to this because I don't think the backs without some a linchpin like Creel will um will be able to keep up with the Crusaders. Yeah. This is going to be a tough one. The next one, Highlanders hosting the Hagiwaras, starting their 
big tour. And a week ago, I would have said the Highlanders should take this without a problem because, or maybe not without a problem, but without too much problems because they have had such dominance in their forward packs and they have their backline seems to be working under Joshuaani. But without Ben Smith, it just makes me question it so much. And the Hagawaris, we've had that history of them doing so well on tour last year. Yeah, no, I, I think whatever I do in this one, it'll be it'll be a, a small margin just because I'll be a, afraid that it'll be a very close game. And um, look, at the moment, I'm, I'm taking the home team, the Highlanders. Um, I'll have a good look at the lineups and see how the Highlanders shuffle their their team uh, to to fill the gap of Ben Smith and, and anyone else. But yeah, it's, this one's very tricky. I think it'll be close. Um, I, I probably think it's it's not a super high scoring game. It's probably in the sort of twenty something, low twenties points each for the teams, and and maybe yeah. That's wonder what weather will be like. Game. Ah, uh, not not when some of these games are going to thirty plus, you know, seventy point seventy uh, something no. combined points. I'm, I'm thinking no more than fifty. It's it's no seven to three though. <laughs> no, no yeah. more boring. I'm I'm a bit worried because last time the Highlanders rested Ben Smith, they put Bryn Gatland to ten and Joshuaani to fifteen, and I don't think it worked very well. So if they do that again, I think Toby's taking the Highlanders. I think I'm going to put um, preference on the Haguaris and I'm going to. Back them in. I've backed them as finishing strong in that South African conference and a no time to let up now versus injury riddled Highlanders. Next Makes ga- sense. Can't criticize. <laughs> Next game and the Chiefs uh, after that draw heading back home to Waikato and the Sharks coming in. So two teams coming off the draw and I'm sure the Sharks probably would have finished that Crusaders game thinking, God, it's definitely going to be easier next week. But after watching the Chiefs last weekend, I don't know if it's going to get that much easier. Yeah, another team, that another year, and they've found a way to lift through adversity. And, and after scoring five tries against the Highlanders, Chiefs certainly not short on points um, in the right situation. So can the Sharks, can the Sharks stop them? Well, the Sharks' defense against the Crusaders was quite strong. It was quite aggressive. Uh, I think they need to bring that again this week. And uh, at the moment, I, I, I am tipping the Chiefs. But again, I think it'll be close. I, I don't think there'll be too much between these two sides. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go Chiefs as well, which is, I believe, against what the odds are. Oh, no, at the moment, Chiefs are still slight favourites at $1.60 versus $2.30 for the Sharks. Um, but Toby's going Chiefs as well. And it's strange that we're, we're all backing this team and obviously the odds are better backing them as well. I mean, this is a team that is so injury-addled and as you said, it's faced so much adversity, but there seems to be able to overcome it and their forwards are playing really well and they should, I think they do have the personnel to still stand up to that big Sharks pack and if they do that, if it's a one-for-one in the back line, then it's going to be a really tight one, but I'm going to take Chiefs. Next game and the Waratahs continue their uh, South African tour and heading down, they've been based in Joburg, so they've been there for a couple of weeks now and this week they take on those Lions. And again, um, the Waratahs playing really well against the Bulls, but on tour, uh, I, I'm still not willing to tip them for the win. I'll be very happy if they win. Maybe this is a I get I get something out of it either way. If the Waratahs win, I'll be happy, and if they don't, well, at least I tip the correct result. I think the Lions will have this one, 
in Joburg. Yeah, tough one to call for the Waratahs. I mean, you you go back to history, and even last year when the Lions came to Sydney and Italian Stadium, they came and put 29 points to nil on them. So really tough to see the Waratahs taking this one. Uh, I, I do want to see a little bit of a shuffle. I think, look, I think Hooper deserves a bit of a rest. I think this is the time to let a few of your younger guys have a bit of go, give Will Miller a start. Maybe Sinclair gets a bit more of a look in at number eight if Dempsey's not healthy yet. Uh, and we get a few more of these other guys a bit more experience. Hopefully Tom Robinson gets another 40 minutes or so and we can start to introduce him back into the team. But yeah, I'm going to take Lions as well. Uh, I have Toby's pick here and he's actually taking the Waratahs. So he's back in the upset over there in Joburg. Yeah, he's been down on the Lions this year. He's, he's seeing them falling apart. Um, and and I, I see some of the same. But I think at home, um, it'd be nice to see some of those young Waratahs uh, who've been playing well off the bench and, and um, bringing a lot of energy. I'd like to see them start. I, I think that'll only serve to make it closer. I don't think that'll be enough to get the win. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if Lions, again, play Yanksies at 12. It seems like it must be a push from the Springboks. Uh, to potentially see what he's like as a 12, because that's what they've been trying to do for a few weeks in a row now. Uh, I'm not sure it's particularly helping their backline that much, but it's interesting to see if that continues, whether that's going to be a bit of a template that they take on into their, um, the rugby championship. Considering how many just enormous bull-sized uh, inside centres they breed, yeah, they're all a little bit like-for-like. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you need an alternative plan for certain sides. Perhaps that's what they're working on. Yeah, be interesting. Uh, and last game, a Sunday afternoon classic. I love a bit of Sunday afternoon rugby and the Brumbies hosting the Sunwolves uh, down there at GIO Stadium in Canberra. And uh, I think we will probably all agree the Brumbies having that sort of dominance in the forward pack and that set piece, that's probably the places where the Sunwolves are weaker. So they keep it tight. I think the Brumbies should be able to take this one. Yeah, Canberra loves a bit of afternoon rugby and, and I reckon the Brumbies will, will love this contest. The The Sunwolves still very dangerous, still very good on the counter. Uh, if the Brumbies contain, then I, I see this being a couple of try margin in this one easily. Well, the Brumbies would really like to get a good win here because, of course, they still have to play the Sunwolves twice. Uh, so they have to head over to Tokyo to play them again in just a couple of weeks. So you'd love to get a bit of dominance here and take that through so you don't have too much of an issue and you can lock in a further eight points or even potentially 10 points over the next three weeks. Yeah, I think they've got to go all out at this. If they're, if they're going to get the jump on the Rebels and, and contest to the top of the conference, all it's got right. to open up and, and fire on all cylinders. You can't, can't afford to be conservative. They need to get out. They need these bonus points. It's not going to be good enough to just match teams with wins. They need to get out there and... and you know, grow uh, maybe maybe you know effectively an extra win out of three or four bonus points would be exactly what they need to top the conference. Yeah, exactly, and they're definitely on track, so they definitely have the potential to go down there and do it. Um, other news around the world: we have Major League Rugby continuing, and that's got a, another month or so before we hit final series. You've got Nola Gold, so Leah's favourite, still up there at the top, followed by San Diego Legion and the Seattle Seawolves. So, Nola goal, baby. Yeah, they've had a couple of good wins, so they're definitely looking strong and been just taking down the bonus points in every game as well. 
but still a couple of weeks we'll give you a bit more of a update when we get to finals time and I was hoping Toby would be here to give us a bit more of an update on the Gallagher Premiership and getting into the finals of the Northern Hemisphere club season but we'll have to wait till next week to get uh, our on, on the ground reporter to update us with all of that. From me and Leo, thanks for tuning in. Remember to follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook at the Running Rugby Podcast and on Twitter at the Running Rugby Pod. All your extra news updates and everything will be coming through there, guys. And make sure you subscribe, tell your friends, click on this Apple iTunes or in Spotify, leave a review, even just click the five star button and submit. You don't have to write anything, we don't mind. And tell your friends to download. But we'll be back back next week. All the news from another exciting week in Australian rugby and world rugby. Until then, keep on running. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black. Got the boosters black to match. Riding on a horse. Ha, you can whip your Porsche. I've been in a valley. You ain't been up off that porch. Now, nah, can't nobody tell me.